Welcome to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. I'm a serial entrepreneur and social innovator. I like to gather people from all different walks to talk about what I call the conscious economy. I believe that we can create a more equitable system, one that honors the well-being of people, the well-being of the planet, the well-being of business, and includes art and creativity. Join us each week as we tackle a different intersection of this big but critical conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Conscious Economics Podcast. We're back together, Asil and Rhiannon. (laughs) And what are we talking about today, Asil? We are talking about the hedonistic economy. So hedonistic economy. That's right. What does that mean? Well, let's define the word hedonic first. And the hedonic belief is that you want to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. So you ultimately really believe that your choices should be made in a way that absolutely maximize that pleasure concept. So that's why there's some people who say there's an inherent selfishness with being a hedonistic person, because technically you're focusing on your own personal pleasure at the cost of anything that gets in the way of that. Okay. When I picture that word like hedonistic, I picture like people laying around and being fed grapes and like (laughs) this whole kind of scene. I don't know if it's like an old TV show I'm referencing in my mind or what, but you're saying that this really applies to the way our current economy functions, that we are kind of living in a hedonistic economy. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought the TV reference because a good reference of that would be like The Wolf of Wall Street, if you've seen that movie. Leonardo DiCaprio played the role. It's based on a true story and he was playing the role of Jordan Belfort. Like picture a typical, whether it's a hedge fund manager or like a Bay Street or like a corporate leader uh, who's technically just living in that consumerism mentality and they're constantly throwing massive amount of money on things that are not even justified. And like even my husband the other day was telling me that Elton Jones was bankrupt because of his flowers bill. He Elton he, John? Yeah. Is that, is, is that how you say it? Okay, Elton John. <laughs> I was like, Elton Jones. Don't know him, <laughs> but Elton John. So, yeah, so $30,000 a week was his fresh flower fresh bill. Flowers. Wow. You know, but this is again, it's something we've talked about on the show before this idea that this has been very much celebrated in our culture this idea of having all of these luxuries having multiple cars having multiple homes and now we're starting to see this trend towards people being more conscious about those things and that's something definitely we want to encourage I do want to also say that these hedonistic tendencies I don't just want to be singling out Bay Street or hedge fund people because whether we have a lot of money or whether we have a little bit of money that that tendency to want to skip over the pain points skip over and just have that instant gratification I feel like it's really really embedded in our culture across the board 100% right now for sure but that that's definitely an example that we could think of but I just want to be mindful that we're not singling out any one individual but saying that this is really something that we all need to look at and I think that that is really true even for myself like I think of all the times throughout the day that I choose convenience as opposed to doing the thing that maybe would be more economical and but maybe it's a slower pace or whatever like I love convenience Mm -hmm. I've been programmed that way I feel so I'm willing to pay for it I'm glad you clarified that because uh, when I used that example it was more like a stereotypical example to put a reference because most people would understand what that means but 
these principles we've discussed in this podcast is meant for us to all be aware of because it impacts us differently and it's across the board. So the concept, there's two different angles to look at when we think about the hedonistic economy. First, the discomfort with emotions in general. Mm -hmm. So technically, when people are doing whatever it takes to numb emotions, it's because they're, first of all, not used to processing or feeling things out or uh, flushing out emotion that where we used to numbing it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that concept. And the second one, it's that dysfunctional belief that more is better and a bigger house, a bigger car, a better this, a better that. So you're constantly on that treadmill wanting to accumulate more with the perception that this is going to bring me more happiness in my life. So there's two things or two angles on it. Uh, to look at the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Yeah. So let's start with the avoidance of pain. I think that that's so true. And I, I feel like we've never been taught how to process our emotions. Mm -hmm. That's not something we were taught in school. We usually don't have examples at home because this has been intergenerationally ingrained. Mm -hmm. I know that it's very much, you know, ingrained in the way that I was brought up that only certain emotions were acceptable and other emotions were not so you know if you were happy that's acceptable but only to a degree can't be too happy can't be so happy that you're not considerate of someone else who's not happy so it's mm -hmm. this constant sort of hyper vigilance around how do I need to behave how do I need to show up and what do I need to suppress in myself mm -hmm. and I know because I have outed myself many times that I've had lots of issues around addiction to shopping addiction to money and if I really drive down into like what was driving that behavior for me? It was this low self-worth and this inability to process my more difficult emotions like the, the feelings of unworthiness. Of Instead of feeling those feelings, understanding why they were there, I tried to mask them. Mm -hmm. I tried to pretend that I was at a different status with the clothes that I wore, the things when really I was struggling still. Yeah. So I'm in my fourth year of uh, therapy training and only now after years of not just extensive therapy, uh, receiving therapy as a client, but also learning therapy, that I feel that I'm now starting to grasp the concept of feeling our emotions, connecting with our body, processing uh, unfinished business from the past. So it is a journey and it, it is something that does require commitment on your part. But what's interesting to understand about this is while thoughts are the language of the brain, emotions are the language of the body mm. so for us to understand emotions we really need to connect to our bodies we're not going to understand our emotion trying to rationalize or think about something logically right. and our body and and our for us to get to that frequency it's a much slower pace mm -hmm. than than a typical logical argument would be so that's why in body work somatic work uh, therapy that really focuses on the body it tends to be a much slower pace therapy and at the beginning I, I used to be I still am to a certain extent an anxious person I'm highly energetic and I used to see these things as positive traits but also it was meant to mask some of these discomfort or uh, uncomfortable emotions that I also had mm -hmm. so at the beginning I'd be losing patience with therapy I'd be losing patience with with some of the questions like what are you aware of in your body right now like that question was extremely foreign for me at the yeah, beginning of my felt therapy so broad it's interesting so a couple of patterns that I started to realize one was when I was trying to make changes to my diet mm -hmm. so if let's say I was on a particular diet or I was trying to eliminate sugar 
sugar, I actually found myself shopping more. So, and never really made the correlation that I was numbing perhaps with food. And then when I take that numbing agent away, now this other one's showing up. And I used to think, oh, it's because I'm feeling better in my body. So I want to purchase, you know, a new dress or a new outfit because it feels more fun to shop when you feel better in your body, which is true. And so when you're not feeling good, you may not want to numb that way. So there are different ways that we numb. The other thing that I noticed as someone who did grow up in a sort of I had a lot of trauma throughout my life and I do a lot of what's called disassociation where I'm actually disassociated from my body. So I'm not actually present Mm -hmm. in my body or in the moment. And so sometimes when something really triggering would happen or a big event, something that I should feel a lot of emotion around, I actually felt very numb. And I thought that this was like a good thing, like, oh, I'm just really in control. But then realizing after I may not have actually felt anything because I've trained myself to disassociate but then noticing that I'm consuming more chocolate or I'm shopping uh, you know a few hours later or a few days later not making the connection so how do we make the connection like what how how can we start making the connection especially when it comes to this consumerist or hedonistic economy because everywhere around us we're being marketed to on our phones now it's like a constant marketing you know even before when it was television and you could like walk away during the commercials now if you're getting up in the middle of the night a lot of us are addicted to our phones and those phones are reading our algorithms and pushing us more things to consume Mm -hmm. so how do we deal with this so I really love all these examples that you've shared and I value your vulnerability so much. I always do because this is the path to economic healing is first of all to acknowledge the trauma we've experienced in the past to bring awareness to it and to depending on what we're dealing with, we, we bring healing into that past unfinished business and the more aware we are the more we start connecting these thoughts so at the beginning you may notice it a few days later you start connecting mm-hmm. but the, the the more reflection and mindful exercise you're engaged in and I do recommend you having that as part of your daily habit daily routine be it in the morning or something you do in the night just sitting and reflecting on some of these things that come up for you you're gonna draw the connection you'll start to notice when I'm feeling sad I'm like throwing my money at things that I perceive bring me joy when I'm feeling uh, a certain emotion here's how I react so it becomes like a, a clear distinction when x happens y is the reaction I choose and once you become aware of this unconscious pattern because it's a pattern you're just habitually uh, doing then you can start being mindful and changing that like Mm -hmm. when x happens now that i'm aware that this is what i used to do what is something i want to now replace this habit with that is going to be more constructive to my financial health so there's different ways of dealing with it but i do believe at the heart of it is therapy and mindfulness Hold that thought. We have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvestees.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. 
I had this really interesting experience just last weekend. So of course, because we've been in a pandemic, we haven't really been going out as much. We haven't been going to shopping malls and these kinds of places. And also just with everything that's happening in the world right now. So obviously there's wars happening all Mm -hmm. over the world. And I really want to emphasize that. And this has been an ongoing situation where there's conflicts and now there's, you know, this war happening in Europe that's gotten a lot of media attention. And it's interesting because it's getting more attention maybe than some of the other conflicts that are happening around the world, Mm -hmm. um, including in Palestine. Um, So one of the interesting things, though, was I was feeling into all of these emotions of just the state of the world, of where everything's at. And then we went to the mall. And when I walked into the mall, for some reason, something just hit me differently. And I was looking around at all of these like shiny objects and bright lights and colors and scents and sounds and all of these things. And I was very much overwhelmed. I was having one of those moments where I was taking it all in. But then I was like, look what we're doing. Mm. Like, look at what we're doing. Like all of this is here as such a distraction, making us feel like we're going to get this, 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 and somehow it's going to take away the pain. But the pain I'm experiencing is of this unconscious system that we're living in is this world where, you know, what's driving our economy is this mass consumption, is this mass destruction of our planet, of each other. And here we are with these like plastic toys and, and things that are just you know one moment you care about it the next moment it's just in another pile with the other things that you you know don't even think about anymore and something about it just hit me so much more deeply and I really think that many of us are being called right now to actually consider this hedonistic tendency this pleasure over pain and instead it's actually more painful it is in more the painful end. because it's filling a void with so the way I describe it is you've noticed a gap or a void or a hole in your life whichever term feels relevant to you to refer to it as but you're filling it with the wrong thing and the more you fill it with the wrong thing the wider this gap becomes this is how I like to refer to it because it's it's so true and actually there's a theory called the hedonic treadmill theory which refers to the fact that we have a happiness set point which means you know the average day you have a specific level of happiness that you are accustomed to and what that is, there's a positive psychologist, her name is Sonia Limboriski, who said that 50% of that happiness set point is determined by your genes, 10% by your life circumstances, and 40% in your control. So I don't know if I fully believe in these uh, percentages, because there's so many different theories out there. There's other theories that say even though genes play a role, we do still have control over our our genes. And there's a book called The Biology of Belief that proves that the way we interact with our bodies and cells actually do change our genetic makeup as we we age. So there's different theories out there. So I'm not really uh, taking these percentages at face value. But the reason I'm mentioning them here, because I was particularly struck by the percentage of life circumstance, which was only 10%. So only 10% uh, of, of your life circumstance contributes to your happiness. And the rest is more your attitude, your beliefs, the way you choose to react to these circumstances, mm-hmm. if you will. Plus, obviously, some predetermined genetic makeup. I'm sure it plays a role, but how much is arguably 
different from one scientist to the other. So I was really struck by that and I thought it was a really important thing to, to, to bring into this episode for us to discuss it. But going back to the hedonic treadmill, so that happened at set point in whichever percentage it's constituted. Anytime something really positive happens in your life, you, you go over this happiness set point and anytime something negative, you go under it, but you always go back to that uh, like baseline. The, the baseline exactly so that's why when people win the lottery they're not high on life forever they're high for a few weeks maybe on on happiness mm-hmm. but then they're back into that baseline so interesting well and also just kind of I've been doing a little bit more studying around neuroscience and how the brain functions and one of the things that's really interesting is that whenever we have a peak emotion our brain counterbalances it with taking us kind of sort of in a lower emotion so we can come back to balance. Like our brain is always trying to bring us to equilibrium. So when we have this heightened, let's say winning the lottery and there's this heightened emotion, there's all this surge, we feel so happy, our lives are completely different. But right away, like this is a world of polarity. This is a world of contrast. So while we think that that's going to bring us this lasting happiness, all of a sudden we have fighting with family members because we haven't given the money or there's things we didn't consider that now are starting to bring us down. And so it's this idea of like any perfect state or achieving a, a set state and then thinking that we're going to stay there, whether it be because of a financial you know windfall or whatever it is isn't actually the way we function we are dynamic beings and we're constantly always fluctuating through these cycles so there is no permanence just like in the buddhist philosophy there is no permanence everything is impermanent everything is fluctuating everything is changing including your emotions Mm -hmm. so a, a difficult emotion that you're feeling or experiencing whether it be situational or just something that's coming up in you if you do allow it to run its course and move through it moves through. It doesn't stay. But when we start to feel that little bit of discomfort, we immediately want to do something about it, shove it down, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it comes out yes. in a larger wave. Yes. So that is so interesting. What I really want to add to that as well, which is really important, because back to the question about like what to do about it, a lot of us start thinking about uh, conditioning our thoughts to be different. And some people believe controlling your thoughts are easier than controlling your emotion everybody is different so that may be true for some people but unless your thoughts and emotion are aligned change won't happen because like I said earlier thoughts are the language of the brain emotions are the language of the body and the brain and the body need to be aligned for change for momentum for for sustainability to, to take place so you may start thinking positive thoughts about abundance about opening yourself to maybe uh, intrinsic wealth versus empty wealth but if you don't in, like wholeheartedly believe that that to be the case and believe these emotions to be true, then your thoughts are just now in, at war with the emotions that you're experiencing in your body, which is why healing trauma around money is important. And that's where therapy and mindfulness exercises can come in place. So it really is an art and science because you're processing your emotion, but you're also introducing some strategic and logical steps in order to integrate and translate this new beginning into you know an external reality 100% and I think that it's so important and this is why we do this podcast this is why we have these conversations it's so important to normalize Mm -hmm. this way of thinking because we have been trained and conditioned especially in the western world that 
success equals what you wear and what you own and how many things you have and the title that you have. And we have been trained that emotion is messy and it's not professional and there's no welcome place for it. And it's something that you have to hide and repress. And these are all things that in the new economy, in the conscious economy movement, we know that this has to transform and change because look how sick we are and look how disconnected we are not only from our own selves our own bodies not even being able to identify what something makes us feel inside our own physical being Mm -hmm. but also the planet that gives us life and you know we could go on and on and on and when I reflect on the times when I felt most satisfied most happy in my life it's not when I bought a big purchase or got a raise or even got an award of some kind it was when I was able to be vulnerable and connected with people that's those are the memories I love that you said that so much because I truly believe belonging and connection is like absolutely very very important but how can you connect with the outer world if you feel disconnected from within you so it's a journey within that supports your connection with the with the world and the relationships around you and this is why money is a very complex thing because money in itself is intertwined with your identity and with who you see yourself to be and who you see yourself in comparison with the social circle that you're surrounded by and even yeah how you connect like i know certain friend groups that it's always going out for these dinners or it's always doing these things and that's all related around money but really if we just went on a free walk in the woods and told each other how we were really feeling inside of our hearts we'd probably remember that so much more than some dinner with a whole bunch of distraction around us and some big slab of cow on a plate (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know why i said that but (laughs) yeah i don't know what that means i'll ask you later so steak So uh, what I really want to leave the audience with are some questions because it's important while you can theoretically start engaging with these principles and start thinking and bring awareness to how this translates into your life. Like how do you translate that into practical action? And some of the first steps of it is really to reflect on some key questions that you can ask yourself, particularly, for example, if you're an impulsive shopper, key questions can look like, why do I want this object? Who am I buying it for? This is a really cool question to ask because sometimes when you dig deeper, you think you're buying it for you, but then you realize I'm actually buying it to fit in this group. So technically I'm buying it for them, not not for myself. Uh, one question I always like to ask some of my clients is like, if you're in the middle of a forest, you know, that um, very um, famous saying, and if a tree falls, did it make a sound? Well, similarly, if you're in the middle of the forest and no one's going to see this item that you're going to buy, do you still want it? And if the answer is yes, then that object holds intrinsic wealth, wealth for you. And, and then you can get creative in finding ways to get it, be it a car or a dress or whatever. But if it's if the answer is no, then you're not buying it for yourself. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy it. That's not everything is nuanced. It's not black and white, but at least it gives you an idea and an understanding to to shine the light in some of your habits to understand yourself better. How do I make my purchasing decisions? What is it supporting me through? One of my clients, for example, was a shopaholic and a lot of her 
tendencies was to mask her insecurity. She felt that clothes are the only things in her life that she has control over. Mm. So she was obsessive about like being in in the best outfits all the time. Yeah. But and and it's not to take away her love for fashion. We want to support because she still loves fashion. Yeah. But it's also to address that you're not feeling worthy, and that's the real issue. Exactly. So how can we? It's not a budget that you need. We really need to work on these underlying layers that now that we've covered that this is really the issue it's here. so true i would also add to ask yourself or notice when you do make you know an impulse purchase what does it feel like in your body so after you make that purchase usually there's a high or there's a really good excited feeling you're going to wear these fresh clothes you're going to get this certain attention but how long does it really last yes. and when does that new piece become old if it's only in a couple of weeks to you that already it doesn't feel like it has that same energy then that's an another signal and a sign that maybe there's something else going on and that's what you're doing and we're in that fast fashion cycle right where even the the way that the industry performs is to bring all of these fresh items all the time so you constantly feel like you need to kind of keep up with the trend and where does it stop yeah like where does it end another really cool question and this may take you uh or you may need the support of a professional with is what emotion fueled that purchase that's really important because you can now identify patterns oh it looks like most of my purchases are done when i'm happy mm-hmm. or are done when i'm feeling angry or i'm done when i'm feeling uh like insecure and i'm so now now you understand what you do to mask some of these emotions and and it supports that further awareness and uh hopefully create better habits for you but all it starts with is awareness and then it's followed by a commitment to change once you identify what's no longer working or serving your financial health 100 and if you are intrigued by these questions and you want to be a part of a supportive community then sign up at consciouseconomics.ca you can become a member it's free and you'll be able to find out about the workshops a seal host a monthly economic healing session which is live coaching financial therapy for small groups so if you feel called to get involved please do check out the website thank you so much for joining us again this week and we will see you with another episode next week bye this podcast is brought to you by cpp investments at cpp investments they never lose sight of the long term They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.